Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Welcome to the Hunt of War podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 79, The Hunter's Quest with Hunter McWaters. On this episode of The Huntivore, we talk about adventure and spiritual reflection while on the hunt. It's hard to separate ourselves from wild creation and the majesty of it all without opening up those big questions while glassing from a peak or hunkering in a stand. Hunter shares some of his past experiences that has led to the making of The Hunter's Quest and opens up about his family in the kitchen, making some wild exotic dishes that has this Midwest foodie wide-eyed and wanting a taste. Join Nick and Hunter on this walkabout-style episode coming at you. Also, just a quick note before we start. Hunter is in Alaska at the time that this episode is dropping. So head over to at the Hunter's Quest to see how his adventure is going currently. But anyway, on with the show. Well, hey folks, beautiful afternoon. Actually, it's morning still. Morning here in Michigan. We had apparently a drencher of a storm that missed us. All the news was telling us that we were going to get this historic rain and it all went south of us. So here we are sitting with no humidity, 75 degrees like this. This is what we've been looking for getting out of the swamp. 
But anyway, today I am talking with a fellow podcaster and adventure enthusiast. I am here with Hunter McWaters. He is the host of the Hunter's Quest podcast. Hunter, what's it like over there in Virginia? Are you guys still swampy sticky or have you got a breath of fresh air? Oh my goodness. Man, we stay swampy and sticky uh, all (laughs) summer, it seems like. I live in Chesapeake, Virginia, and basically the entire county is a swamp pretty much. I mean, I say this to people all the time, and I'm not exaggerating one bit. Like, I have, for my old job when I was working for the Christian Broadcasting Network, I travel all over the world, like Sub-Saharan Africa, Cambodia, Thailand, Nepal, Ecuador, Turkey, like literally everywhere around the world. Never anywhere has the mosquitoes come close to Southeast Virginia and like <laughs> not even touching it. Um, so, but anyway, it is, yeah, it's super humid, hot, sticky, gross here, but you know, it's summer, so it's to be expected. Yeah, gotcha. I hear you on the mosquitoes. I be, you know, I think that's probably something that we have in common here in Michigan, just being surrounded by water. And then, yeah, lakes everywhere. I'm living in the woods right now. We couldn't have it as our state bird. It They really are just thick <laughs> yeah, and bad, feisty. Man. They're bad. So you jumped on this whole process of making a podcast and it's the, the hunter's yeah. quest. And it's Mm -hmm. after hearing a couple episodes, I was really excited because it's not an everyday tactic. Do this. uh, Here's here five strategies. Like it is a total uh, change as far as a philosophy goes when it comes to hunting. Tell me a little bit about what your podcast is all about. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And that's, that's what I strive for is to be something a little different because, um, you know, I learned a ton through podcasts, uh, when I was getting into backcountry hunting. And, you know, as I say, in some of my stuff, like when I went, you know, I've always been a hunter, but when I found backcountry, like adventure style hunting, it was like, I started hunting again. It was like a whole new world. And I just got like, my passion just got reignited, but I learned a ton from podcasts. Um, and I kind of wanted to, you know, share what I learned and stuff, but I didn't want to just be, like you said, just another one out there. I know it's very saturated. There's, and that's okay. I mean, that's, you know, whatever, but there's, there's a lot of podcasts out there. Just, there is just to be blunt. And uh, so I wanted to kind of hit it from a different angle. So um, obviously my faith is a big part of my life. Um, you know, I have a history of addiction, so I've seen, the dark side. I've walked in it. I've been there and, um, you know, God took me out of that. So I give glory to him. And so that's a big part of my life. Um, and I felt like there was tons of really good content out there and the stuff that I was drawn to in the hunting space was not necessarily the tips and tactics, although I did learn a lot about that, but it was the stuff that was like, these guys were talking about healthy lifestyle and mental toughness and like, um, just becoming like a better person through hunting. I was like, whoa, like the tradition I kind of grew up in hunting in the South, Southeast. I love it. Not, not talking bad about it or anything, but you didn't really see a lot of that. Um, you didn't see a lot of discussion of like health and wellness and mental toughness and stuff. And I was like, man, this is amazing. And, you know, um, I'm just in every way in my life, I'm growing as a person, I'm getting in physical shape. I'm getting um, my spiritual shape. I'm getting in more, you know, better shape spiritually. 
um, cause I'd come out of this long dark period. And, um, so I was like, man, this is amazing. And I noticed a lot of these, um, really big name guys like, uh, like your Dan Staten from Elk Shape, um, you know, Robbie Denning, um, uh, you know, Nathan Killen just rattling off a few of these awesome hunters. Um, they were putting out really great content and we're all over the place and you could kind of read between the lines and tell they were believers and they were Christian guys and spirituality is something that was important to them, but it was never really a big part of the conversation. It was sort of mentioned or briefly kind of brushed over. So I was like, man, if I could, um, and then, well, then on the other side of the coin, there's some Christian podcasts, and again, not talking bad about them, you know, they're needed, whatever, but some of them were like a little, it sounds bad to say, but almost too focused on the ministry side to where if you're not a believer, you might listen to a couple of minutes and be like, man, I don't want to be preached at or like, you know, or maybe it was a little corny or whatever. So I was like, man, if I could do some really high quality, good hunting content, but also talk about the spiritual side of things, um, that could be something a little unique and, um, and not be preachy or corny and something that guys who are not believers would also enjoy and get value from. And I think I've been able to, to get a pretty good balance there and gotten some really good response from, from guys who are believers and guys who aren't. Um, and it's something that's a little unique. And, you know, I even, I talked to a lot of uh, LDS church guys, you know, uh, Mormon guys, because once you get into this Western hunting thing, you realize there's a lot of LDS guys that are great hunters, content creators and uh, business owners in the space. And so I don't shy away from that, man. Like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. You know, I can believe what I believe. You can believe what you believe. Let's talk about spirituality anyway. Um, and, and just and just have an open conversation about it, you know, and we can still be friends and we can be cool and learn from each other, you know. That's an awesome perspective. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I love that you're able to then reach out past like whatever denomination that, you, that you're sure. sitting in. I, I heard a quote. Um, and now it's it's getting away from me on who the the gentleman was he was a preacher but he was talking about he goes listen i have more in common with a muslim brother than i do someone who doesn't believe anything yeah he goes we have at least common ground and so that's that's an awesome thing that you're reaching out to just you know people who are seeking for spiritual 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 i can't even speak seeking for truth. spirituality there yeah. you go speaking for tr- yeah. looking for truth but at the same time like their path is going to be different on how they're going to find that and coming from sure. your path it sounds like man taking a deep down dive in addiction and then to bring yourself back up to where man you're rocking a tank top right now and you got guns going on you got permits for <laughs> oh, those dude. things <laughs> you should have seen me a couple of years ago, man. I got super fat too. Like, um, uh, I'm at like 175 now. I was at, so when I got clean, I kind of just replaced it with food and I got up to like 250 pounds and just weak and just felt like a slob, man. Uh, so that's been a huge part of my journey too. But, but yeah, like going back to the spiritual thing, I mean, um, uh, you know, just to be honest with you, I mean, I respect the LDS church guys a lot because, I mean, you know, we may disagree on certain things, but they take their faith seriously, man. A lot of them do anyway. Um, a lot more seriously than a lot of Christian guys do. So, so yeah, man, just finding common ground. Um, like you said, looking for truth. Um, and I think, you know, most hunters, no matter what their, you know, philosophy is necessarily, I think most hunters recognize there is some sort of spiritual connection we have to the outdoors and into the wilderness. 
And so just kind of digging into that, um, no matter what someone might, you know, ascribe to philosophically or, you know, um, theologically. So yeah, man, it's been cool. Gotcha. We're, we're riding this train right now. I was going to save this question for the end, but I'm, I'm going to bring it right up, right up to the top. Um, Sure. And I had my, my background is well education, but at the same time I went through a non-denominational uh, Christian Academy or a, a Christian college. And so having mm-hmm. core classes where you got to look into scripture, not just new Testament, but we researched a lot in old Testament. And even though it was a class at that point, and so it was, some of it was, you had, it was, you had to just get through it, but a lot of it really did awaken up some things for me as far as diving into scripture mm-hmm. and then applying that into real life. Like this isn't just some guy in the past writing just to write. No, this is, this is God breathed at this point. Like we are looking at the word yeah. of the Lord. And so when I'm entering into an adventure and I'm going to have you describe, or I'm going to have you give a, a working definition of adventure here in a minute, because you've, you've been a lot of places, sure. both with your job. And then you even taken in to the back country on the opportunities that I've had to just get away from the world, to get completely disconnected and to be in creation. Mm-hmm. You look at things way differently. It is, it's something that I look at is you could, I could see how someone say like, oh, this is all just a random happening that all of a sudden we have this diversified species. We have all this plant life, all this animal life, like this is just kind of happening. And if we don't touch it, if we just stay out of it, it'll continue to exist. But there's other times I look at it and I'm like, how can you not see the intelligent design that has gone into all this, that there's nothing random about the symbiosis between all the the plants and animals. And then just even Mm -hmm. how all the webs work, like it's so complex. It's so beautiful. And my, my latest trip was, well, it's been several years now, but we took a trip in Northern Minnesota where we went through the, the boundary waters area on a canoe and just seeing creation for what it is just between the animals and everything. Like it really Mm -hmm. was, something that I could say that something created this. This isn't just a happenstance. And I think folks like yourself really get a good look at that when you, when you break away from monotony, when you, when you can shut this off, when you can shut the phone off and get away from it, like how things become apparent. Is Mm -hmm. that something that you have experienced on your adventures? Yeah. 100% man. I mean, um, you know, I, I walk with God every day. But um, when you do, I mean, first of all, I, I don't see how anybody could think it's random. Honestly, I don't. Um, it's just, it's too, it's, it's just too much. Um, if you're really into this, there's a guy I recommend you check out named Hugh Ross. Has a ministry called Reasons to Believe. Uh, amazing guy. I got a chance to interview him one time. He's like a um, astronomer, one of the smartest guys alive and a believer and, um, he opened my eyes to different ways of thinking about how science and creation relate to one another. Um, for example, and you know, I don't want to blow anybody's mind here, but like when I look at the natural world, I had trouble when, when I was struggling with my faith, I had trouble believing that the world was created in seven 24 hour periods, 4,000 to 6,000 years ago. 
that just doesn't jive with what I see in the natural world. But I still believe God created everything. So now I'm what you'd call an old earth creationist. So I believe those day periods in Genesis, when they talk about a day, were thousands or even millions of years long periods that, um, you know, I'm still 100% believe scripture is true, 100% God breathed everything he said before. Um, I just see it that way. Um, so, you know, I don't think Genesis was ever made to be a step-by-step -step scientific historical manual. It's uh, more of a poetic um, description of the way God created the earth, which he did um, from nothing. Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I don't see how you can know anything about the natural world and think it's an accident. I had a, um, a non-believing biology teacher in seventh grade tell our class, this is not a Christian guy, this is a normal biology teacher, not a believer. He said, in his words, the chances of things just randomly evolving to the state they are now is akin to a tornado going through a junkyard and assembling a fully functional Boeing 757 jet. He's like, it just, it doesn't happen. Um, so I 100% see that. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I strive to walk with God every day. But, uh, you know, it's just when you are in the backcountry and your only focus for that day is like food, water and finding animals and shelter, it just takes away all the extra crap and allows you just to connect on a deeper level. And uh, like when I was in Alaska, man, like um, my faith was like a tangible help for me. Like I always carry a little tiny travel Bible with me on these trips and there were a couple of days where we had to spend like almost the entire day in our tent because just it was raining so hard and we were like in a cloud and you just can't see anything. It's like you can sit outside if you want, but you're just going to get all your gear wet and it's just there's no point. So um, I know that's hard to like believe, but it actually was the case. So there are times when you just got to be in your tent for hours and, you know, I got little kids at home and, um, you know, you start to think about home and, and miss, miss your kids and like, you know, what am I doing here? Like, what's what, but just, and then just going through Psalms, man. And, um, you know, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help comes from? It comes from the Lord. You know, he's my rock and my fortress. Like that stuff, like they weren't just words to me. They came alive and it was tangible. And, um, and it gave me that just, I don't know, I can't really put it into words, but it just gave me what I needed to just keep going and, and just enjoy that experience. That's awesome. It just, it, it adds yeah. a whole new level that you're actually going through. Like you're, you're living, living your faith out via, I don't, at that point, the whole, a whole term of like walkabout. I know yeah. in, in certain points in scripture, even, even Christ was like, you know what? I need to separate for a couple of days totally, and you just go on a walk. And it's like, yeah. that's exactly, exactly what we need. And yeah. you do, you came back, you probably came back from Alaska more focused, more motivated. Oh, yeah. That trip changed my life, man. For sure. I mean, preparing awesome. for it, going on it, um, 100%. I wouldn't even be doing this right now, sitting here talking to you if I hadn't done that trip. Uh, so, yeah, man. And I, yeah, awesome. you, you talked about how, like, this is just something that, man, it's so powerful, but we, we skip over it. It doesn't work in the 
it doesn't work in the points for the internet as far as like, ah, who's, who's searching this up? Who's looking for spiritual formation? Who's looking to better themselves? No, we want the quick punch. We want the five points to better trail cameras. We want, yeah. what is the essential pack list that I need where sometimes the pack list is leave all that shit at home <laughs> yeah. and you'll be, you'll be better once you get back. Then you can take care of all that crap. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I mean, you know, ultimately I talk about this in my latest episode with Robbie Denning. It's like, you know, if you don't, you know, we're triune beings, we are spirit, soul, and body. And if you're unbalanced and neglecting any one of those things, you're going to be out of whack. And so for me, for a long time, I let my spirit get out of whack. And then consequently, my body and my mind also went with it. Um, but if you have your life together, you're walking with God, um, you're probably naturally just going to be more likely to be mentally and physically healthy if you're, if you're living the right way. And, you know, you're going to have your things squared away at home. Like, you know, back when I was using and my life was falling apart and I was overweight and I was like crazy, like there's no way in hell I could have gone to Alaska. First of all, cause I barely wanted to leave home cause I was addicted to a, a chemical and then stuff was falling apart with my wife and, and kid, like, no way. So, I mean, and people always think like, you know, becoming a Christian or, um, you know, bettering yourself spiritually is going to like limit you and make your life boring. And no, it's like that goes back to like that discipline equals freedom thing. Like um, my life is a million times better and I have so much more freedom because I got my crap together, you know. I didn't, I mean, I did, but God helped me. I don't want to say like I did it all on my own strength because I certainly didn't, but with God's help, I got my act together. And because I did that, I'm able to go on these adventures and my wife's not going to be gone when I get back or, you know, I'm not going to have a heart attack, you know, lugging a 70 pound weight vest of my gut up the mountain or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, discipline equals freedom and that works on a spiritual level and physical. So. Amen. Amen. So yeah, the, uh, the white tail fit guys and the elk shaped boys. Um, I know they, they talk about getting up, uh, and getting healthy and being able to like lug up the mountains, something about being in Michigan in mid to late December, when you're sitting for white tails, you need a rut gut. You need some sort of base <laughs> for you. Layers are only going to do so much. <laughs> I, I, I kid though. I kid because at the same point, like being able to slim down, that's been one of my summer things right now is trying to get myself into my own, uh, white tail and elk shape and less, less round. Yeah. It's, all good, a little man. More it's a process, you know, like I said, that, that journey, I went, it was like a two year thing for me. And what really kicked it into gear was having that Alaska trip as like that carrot out in front of me. And the guy who invited me, my hunting partner now, He's a ex Navy special warfare. So he's like in amazing shape. And I had lost at this point a little bit of weight, but I was still chunky. And I was like, dude, I got to like, and I started realizing like, we're going to be carrying like, you know, lots of food and gear and there's mountains. I was like, dude, I got to get in shape, man. So, and that's when I really, I started listening to guys like, like elk shape, like you mentioned, Dan Staten and, um, and uh, big inspiration. And the cool thing is, man, it's come full circle now. Like, I just, so I just booked a trip to New Mexico. I'm actually going with Dan State and I'm filming an elk hunt for him in New Mexico this year. 
So, um, yeah, so oh I'm super goodness. stoked about that. And as you probably guessed, like, I got to train my butt off. I'm going to keep up with that dude. So <laughs> I don't want him leaving me in the dust, you know? Exactly. You're not no. going to bring down the team, but you're going you're to be lugging along multiple the camera. cameras. So you were talking about earlier, <laughs> multiple cameras. You, you were in uh, the broadcasting uh, industry yeah. when you got starting out. So being, being behind a lens, was that your, were you first behind the lens or were you first behind the rifle? Uh, is this something that kind of just yeah. developed out of that or have you really enjoyed the broadcast? Yeah. I mean, so I, um, in terms of my life, you know, I started hunting before I got into videography and, and that kind of thing. Um, my life's had some weird turns and ups and downs, but I've always through it all. I've always going back to your thing about adventure I always knew like I didn't want to just be a dude who like wakes up, throws on a tie, drives into the office half asleep, sludges at a desk eight hours ago. Like that makes me want to puke. Like honestly, like ugh. Um, so I always knew like I want to do something different. I want to do something creative. And it took a long time to like figure out what that was going to be. It wasn't look like. And I went down some different roads and stuff, but. Uh, I always have hunted since, the, I mean, literally since I was old enough to hold a BB gun, I was hunting crabs in the marsh behind my house with my Red Rider BB gun. Uh, and then, you know, got into deer hunting at about 14 and just was obsessed. Um, so hunting came first, but um, then through just a long story that I don't want to bore you with, I ended up, um, there's in my hometown, there's an organization called the Christian Broadcasting Network. They they produce a TV show, show called The 700 Club, which many people probably won't know of now because it's an older show. But back in the heyday, like the 70s, 80s, 90s, it was very popular. Pat Robertson is the host of that show. He ran for president at one point. Um, so still, I'd say one of the most well-known Christian like TV shows out. Um, but either way, um, and they produce tons of of amazing content all around the world the christian broadcasting network not just that one show but but um despite whether you heard it or not um they produce content at a broadcast extremely high level and so i i got the opportunity to join their remote camera crew um, I had limited experience behind a camera like doing some stuff at church and i messed with the camera a little bit um, but I just kind of had a natural eye for it and, and, uh, they gave me an opportunity and they trained me. I worked with some amazing people and I'm, I'm serious, man. Like the training I got, um, for that specific type of videography was, I mean, the stuff we shot was better than you see on like 60 minutes. Like our interview setups were better than you see on, or, or as good as you see on any network talk show, um, and news, news show. So I got some amazing training through that. Like I said, I got to travel, gosh, just some amazing places. Like I said, I went to Turkey, uh, Ecuador, Nepal, Thailand, Cambodia, um, all over the U.S., um, just covering natural disasters and relief efforts. Um, so just got some amazing training. And then, I, and then I also became a producer after a few years of doing that, so where I would actually go out. I would write the stories, I would research them, I'd work with camera crews and direct the shoots, I would conduct the interviews. So it's like God is kind of 
it almost sort of set me up for this this next project that I'm working on with the Hunter's Quest um, because I have this amazing experience that I got, um, you know, interviewing people and, and doing camera stuff. So anyway, once I got the idea for the podcast, that was just kind of the start. I was like, I want to get my foot wet, getting my foot in the door in the kind of hunting outdoor space, um, start making some contacts, have some fun with it. And then just the natural evolution was like, all right, let's start doing video content. And I already had lined up some amazing hunts for this year. Like my wife actually got me for Christmas, another trip back to Alaska. I leave for Kodiak Island in about three or four weeks. Um, and then I have another uh, hunt in October, an antelope hunt with my um, with my cousin and my dad and my uncle that I'm kind of leading them on. So I'm like, man, how can I, like, I can't go to Kodiak Island and not film it. That's just an opportunity for amazing content. So, so um, it, it is a lot exactly. more work. Exactly. It is a lot more financial investment. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not, I haven't seen a dime from any of my content creation yet. I'm praying that at some point I will, but right now it's just that it's the time of just get amazing stuff out there and get my name out. So, um, it, you know, like I said, it's a sacrifice. It's, it's more work. It's more stress. It's more whatever, but, uh, I think it's going to be worth it and it's going to be awesome to come back with those, with those films. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah. I think of guys that are, you know, they're, they're precursor to you. Even you're, you're jumping into their space. I look at like Remy Warren, mm. who he's, he's making content while he's hunting so by himself so or when let's, yeah. When Les Stroud was doing his survivor man stuff and literally bringing out all of his camera equipment, he would do the far off shot where yeah. it's him walking away and doing, you know, it's like this picturesque shot. And then in the cuts later, when they would show like the credits or whatever, you would show mm -hmm. him do the walk and then set his stuff down, have to do the walk back because yep. you just left your camera oh, yeah. like 200 yards away. So to get the shot, to make sure that you're going to be set up on Kodiak. I, I wish yeah, you appreciate it, the man. best because there's guys that even in the whitetail woods that, you know, they got tripods totally. and everything set up and man, you just can't predict what an no, animal is going to do. And, um, and I, you know, that's the other thing too, is I actually was involved with the project like a while ago, like way before I even started any of this with some guys that wanted to get into, into that world of like filming whitetail hunts and stuff like that. And dude, I'm a deer hunter. Like I love deer hunting. That was my first, first love. I still, I shot six whitetails last year. I will continue to hunt whitetails probably the day I, day I die. But I, I thought about at one point trying to go down that road of just being like a, a camera guy for like, you know, whitetail TV shows or whatever. But to be honest, dude, like, I cannot sit in a tree stand for that long. Like my max is like three hours. Like <laughs> I like to me lugging the camera gear into a tree stand, sitting there from dusk till dark uh, sounds horrible. I, I don't want to do that. Um, but this adventure style hunting that can get down with a little more. Um, so that's kind of why I went this way with it. But I have mad respect for those guys that, that do that in the tree stand. I just cannot sit in a tree stand that long. Can't do it. Yeah, you talk about oh the gosh. mental toughness aspect of I see the same thing for for hours it. and hours, and at the same time, like we when we went on this this talk about um, how you know we're we're mixing our our hunting lifestyle mm -hmm. with our faith, 
and just time of reflection. You know, there's times where maybe you don't want to sit there because you're sick of yourself. <laughs> you're sick of listening yeah. to the same thoughts that you're going through when, like you said, you got to come in inspired. You're going to need intervention walking in. Um, it's not necessarily a, a Bible I tote along because mine's a bigger one. Um, I haven't found the little one yet, but I do have like one. Three bucks. Was, it would be like a New Testament and a Proverbs and Psalms. Yeah. It's literally like three inches by three inches and it's like three dollars. Nice. I've got a, a little book though. It's, and it's oh, cool. truth from the stand it's called. And I, I forget the author, but that's, it's a devotional that it's, it's literally one page and it, it ta- you know, it gives you things to think about and talk about. You put the book away and now that's cool. That's what you're thinking about from those hours where you're waiting for something to move is you're, you're constantly reflecting on those questions yeah, it like gives that. you something and then yeah you know sometimes you're like man i'm sick of here because i don't like what the answers i just came up with maybe i need to go change yeah. this but at the same time what a blessing to just be able to to have that time away and even more so on your adventure side where it's it's days out where you know like you said in alaska there are days where you're just in a tent mm-hmm. and the only thing you have you your thoughts and the lord at that point yeah. and being able to to muster all that yeah for sure man that sounds like a cool book just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in it really does mean a lot i would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh to go ahead and do that it all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on facebook the huntivore or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places. We so we're going to take a little little turn now, here at this point. Um, we've, we've gone way down into the weeds. Let's let's maybe work our way back to the trail here. Sure. What What's your favorite animal to chase? <laughs> now, you've been out west into the adventure stuff, and you've, you know, growing up, you said, on the East Coast, You've had a lot of things at your disposal, a lot of critters that you could probably uh, be able to uh, to chase. What's your favorite so far? I can't say caribou, man. Um, and there's a lot of species I haven't hunted, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm actually pretty new to the Western stuff. Um, but right now, man caribou is they're just amazing like magical like creatures like they seriously look like something from like a fairy tale and um the places they live in are just so wild and amazing i just have such a connection with that um with that landscape and and that that hunt um it's just it's next level and i don't want to make it sound like you have to go all the way to Alaska or, you know, Northern Idaho or Nevada or something to find adventure. You can find adventure in your own backyard. Like um, I did a solo hunt this year um, 
like, I don't know, three, four hour drive from where I live in the mountains is my first solo mountain backpack hunt. And that was an adventure too, man. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, for me right now, it's gotta be caribou. They're just amazing, like mystical creatures and the place they live in are mystical. And, you know, that's why like my logo, you can see is a caribou antler it's also right here. My, my backdrop for, uh, for my videos. That, that's wow. the actual antler that I found on my first trip to shed. Um, that I found on one of the stalks uh, that I was on and brought it back and then incorporated it into my logo. Cause to me, that just, um, that just encapsulates just adventure, man. And, um, self-improvement and just, yeah, the wilderness gotcha. and all that I mean, so that's I a nomadic animal, but as soon as it's born, it's just up on the go and it's just, you know, progressing forward and forward and forward. And that's just like what you're doing with your podcast is that you're, you're just constantly yeah. driving. It's, you got to keep moving. That's, that's a great, great animal to choose. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, what's your favorite to that's, eat? That's true. <laughs> but like I said, whitetail, man. I mean, that's what, well, yeah, well, whitetail. I mean, that's my bread and butter. Um, we, you know, my family, we basically don't eat beef. I'm blessed to live in a state where I think you get six deer tags. And then if you want more, you just buy more. And like, um, there's no shortage of whitetails around here. Um, and, you know, fortunately, my wife and my mother-in-law actually live with us too, which might sound cringy to some people, but my mother-in-law is amazing and like an amazing cook and an amazing wild game cook. And so we pretty much exclusively eat whitetail in terms of red meat. Um, so definitely whitetail is what I got to go with for right now, man. I've heard, I haven't had it yet, but I've heard blacktail is amazing though. And I've also heard antelope is amazing. So you know, maybe after this season, I'll have to let gotcha. you know if I, Yeah, if each has their own change, subtle notes. Right so, yeah, maybe tail. the blacktail has a little bit more of the sagey into it. Or, no, that's the antelope. Antelope's going to have a little more of that sagey into yeah. it. So, let's, I'm, I'm excited to hear your uh, your take on those. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear that, you know, the humble whitetail. Yeah. Like, as much as you don't have to go on yeah. these huge adventures to find them. Like, man, like you said, living <laughs> on the stuff is just... It's what I love. That's why right. that's why my podcast is all here is because man, I just enjoy the heck out of that wild game. Yeah. Are you uh a... oh. totally man? And my first like camping, sorry to kick up, but like my first camping hunting experience was with my cousin. I did a podcast about it. It's pretty funny actually, like I made every mistake in the book. And that's why if you are going on a big time adventure hunt, you should start small in your home state. Um, I literally, it's funny. You got to go back and listen to it, but I'd made every mistake in the book, but ended up coming out there, coming out of the woods with, you know, not a big deer, but I shot a deer on public land with my great uncle's old, uh, it's uh, model 94 from like 1949. And so, that's one of my best hunting memories ever, even though it was like a tiny little deer. Um, and it was just, you know, it was a whitetail in Virginia. Exactly. But like I said, you exactly. can find a bunch of you right, right in your own backyard too. So, so. now you get your animal yeah. and I, with the back or the uh, backcountry stuff, it does offer a new perspective on processing the animal. At that point you do, you have to, you got to quarter it up. 
Um, and for the most part, you are taking mm-hmm. those into a processor just because you you don't have necessarily the facilities, nor do you want to be transporting bones across state lines. There's that whole CWD thing that's now really been a huge hiccup. But back home in, in Virginia, when, you know, when you're yeah. taking out these multiple whitetails, are you using a processor or are you self-processing? Yeah, so um, back in my younger days, I would take them to a processor, and um, and then well, a couple things happened. But I'm in a club out here, and we they encourage you to butcher at least quarter your own animals, and um, it's funny because I just and there's nothing wrong with taking it across I think I should break down animal, um, at least learn to do it. Um, but so my wife is Persian. They're Iranian. Um, like until she was 14, they lived in Turkey until she was like 21. Then moved over here. But, Hold on just a second. Uh, my internet uh, is kicking in and out. And so um, I'm waiting for it I didn't, to catch didn't back call, up. But like I, I said, my, this is a really important part I want to hear. My mother is. Yeah. We might be coming close to that time limit too. I don't know. Yeah. It hasn't given me the warning yet, but I've, I've got that there. Okay. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, yeah. would you shut your video off? Sure. That was a little chunky picture. Oh no, look at that. Rugged facial hair. Look at that. He's got the full full mustache. Oh yeah. See, I can't grow facial hair. That's why I went with a mullet. I can grow out the back, (laughs) but I can't can't grow anything in the front. That's all right. All right. I'm gonna bring you back there. You were talking that, you know, you you gotten to this point where you were quartering your your deer up um with this club, and then you were gonna talk about it was your mother-in-law at this point and your wife yeah, and how so I, specifically they, yeah. they apply into that. Yeah. So I, I started um, butchering my own deer before I got into the club because I just wanted to learn how to do it and recognizing that I was going to be doing more of these backcountry hunts. And, you know, you can't just, like I said, you can't just, you know, field dress an animal and drive it to a processor all the time, you know? So I wanted to have that skill. So I started, I started playing around with it and, um, and anyway, um, but like I said, um, my wife and my mother-in-law, my wife is from Iran. They're Persian, uh, they're Christian, but they, you know, my wife only came to the United States when she was like 21 years old. So, you know, they're like legit, (laughs) like Middle Eastern. And, um, my mother-in-law lives with us and she's amazing. And I was not expecting it at all, but she's like an amazing butcher. So like in the Middle East, they don't like, you know, they don't go to the store and buy like pre-packaged cellophane, pretty wrapped up meat. Like they go and buy like a half a goat or like a whole goat or whatever. And they cut it up themselves because that's just what they do. It's cheaper and it's just more, the food systems over there are less like industrialized. So it's not like, you know, these huge industrial systems it's like they go to the local market and grab like a hind quarter and then they got to break it down at home. So 
was not expecting it at all, but found out that my mother-in-law is like this amazing butcher and she, you know, um, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like this, you know, this little um, mild mannered, you know, Middle Eastern lady teaching this supposedly, you know, rugged hunter guy, but she's teaching <laughs> me how to butcher this deer. And like, but it's so cool, man. And so, yeah. So now what I do is I'll bring home quarters and they turned me on to cuts of meat that 99% of guys leave on the gut pile, myself included, that now are literally like my favorite parts of the, the deer to eat, which is crazy. But like they can do magic with like some cheap cuts that you would never even like literally that you probably leave on the gut pile. Um, and we can talk so about that cool. for a second too, but. Um, but yeah, I'll bring home my, my, um, my quarters, everything. And that's been huge is getting them involved and getting my wife enjoying deer meat. Cause now it's like, um, and my kids as well. It's, it takes a little bit of the, the pressure off of like, Oh, you're going hunting again. More like, oh, okay. He's bringing home tons of meat. Like, okay, I can get behind this a little bit. Um, and, and involving them in the process has been really cool. So yeah, I'll bring home big, big chunks of meat. And we'll uh, set up a table in the driveway. And basically me and my mother-in-law will just go to town and butcher that thing and then wrap it up into individual, you know, servings and then freeze it. Um, That's awesome. Hey, but, is yeah, she man. there? Could could I switch seats with you or with her real quick? Like, she, could she talk to me? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to for real? Yeah, why joking? not? <laughs> I'm just Which joking one? around, but I was like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was if like, you want. holy crap, he's going to get her. Um, but no, that's know, actually I'm, really cool. Um, yeah. One of my focuses this summer was doing more of a Middle Eastern whitetail dish. And I had made okay. a gyro. And granted, I don't, I don't know nice. how Middle I know that's a little more of like the, the Greek style. But at the same time, yeah. like I had been looking at like yogurt-based marinades. Uh, like okay. how do they work? Cool. How does that really apply? And so... Yeah, to hear like your mother-in-law being from that area and being an amazing cook, like, oh yeah, we take venison all the time. This is a traditional thing that we do. So that is super, yeah, man. super cool to know. Yeah. And like, you know, like I said, most guys don't, um, so I would come home and I would just have like, you know, back straps, center lines, front shoulder, back shoulder. Um, now I take the entire neck. I was already starting to do that before them, but they're like, get every piece of meat from the neck um so i'm getting everything and then they um and then you know most guys don't even mess with deer ribs but like i will get yelled at if i don't bring my ribs home the most surprising thing though for me which literally i'm not even exaggerating my favorite meal of whitetail now is the spine and i'm not i know people are like what how do you eat a spine you're not actually eating the spine but once you, you know, cut your um, back straps out and get your tenderloins off and all that, um, you know, you'll see the spine. And obviously there's, there's still a little meat like connected to the bone that you weren't able to get with your knife, you know? Um, and, but there's way more meat than you think. So what we do is I'll cut a spine into like thirds or fourths, depending on how big it is. And my mother-in-law, she'll put it in the, um, in the uh, pressure cooker and then kind of braise it with like some, I asked them for the recipe. They literally won't tell me it's like a secret. So I, I wish <laughs> I could tell you exactly what it is, but they basically braise it in like some water after, um, 
after the pressure cooker, they braise it in some water and some tomato paste and, you know, some other spices. I don't know. And then like you pull out the spine and then you just take your fork and you just like can scrape off all this meat. That's just, it was basically like backstrap and tenderloin meat that you weren't able to get. That's just stuck to the bone. But once you cook it down like that, you scrape it off the bone, dude, it is so good. And we eat it with like some sauteed carrots that they make. Uh, It's my favorite meal on the deer for sure. Like, and like I said, 99% of guys are leaving those spines on the gut pile. I was, and, and now it's like, not only do I take my spines home, I'll go to my buddies when they shoot one and be like, Hey man, can I have your spine? And they like, give me this kind of like weird look like, what? Okay. <laughs> and like, yeah, take it. And so I'll just take all the spines home and like we did, we, we chow on those things. They're great. That's good. Does the, does the dish have a name? Cause I feel like scrapings would be an amazing dish. It would spine not only raise <laughs> spine scrapings, just the <laughs> eyebrow raise to be like, uh, what are we eating? And then yeah. add that mystery. And then after the bite, then they're like, Oh, these are, these are so, yeah, good. I'm sure it does have a name. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't speak their language very well. I speak a little bit, but, um, yeah, I'm telling you, man, like I had a buddy, my hunting partner came over to do a podcast a while ago and I was like, I was like, yeah, try this, man. And like I told him what it was. He was like, ooh, I don't know. But he wolfed down the whole plate. He was like, yep, that was delicious. So um, it's legit, man. That's good. That's good. And it's a secret recipe. So we're just going to never know what that is. Yeah. You're going to have to work but, on I mean, that. You can, it's pretty simple. You, you cook it in a pressure cooker to tenderize it. And then you braise it in basically water and tomato juice or tomato paste and like some other. There's not a lot to it. It's just the, the main thing is just getting it tender enough to you can get that meat to just kind of come off the bone super easily. And then you know, mi- mixing it with some rice and some vegetables you like, and it's really good. Nice. That's going to be, I think that's probably going to be a this fall challenge. Now, I'm probably yeah, yeah, try not going to do the spine um, just for the fact that uh, CWD is in my neighborhood and it's it's yeah. knocking at the door. But to yeah. do the long bones and to do the scapulas and to do the yeah. other outside piece well, outside long bones, that would be a and again, vehicle. To you're do not before. eating any actually of the spinal cord or anything like that. You're literally just eating the meat that's left over that you kind of missed when you're cutting out the, the, um, the backstrap. So, I mean, it's really not any different from eating a backstrap in terms of like safety wise, you're not eating any of the spinal material um gotcha so i mean unless you've given up eating backstraps which i doubt you'll be fine doing it i would still try it um yeah you don't eat any of the spinal material it's just literally the bone it's the meat that's clinging to the little nooks and crannies of the spinal bone on the outside that you just can't get all of out with your knife when you're cleaning the backstraps out gotcha gotcha yeah man try it out i will that's gonna be that's gonna be something i'm gonna i'm gonna work on well, cool. that sounds like a great dish. What do they do with the necks now? Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff basically for my necks. It's roast or yeah. into some sort of braised where I, or I'm shredding it. And may, is that kind of the same direction they're going with or do they got something completely different? Um, No, you're you're right on track with that. I mean, yeah, we, we do roasts, um, braised. They, they, they use, um, you know, for those. And even like the shank and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think it's any secret, but um, they use an instant pot a lot for those cuts to, to you know, pressure cooker to get them tender. 
Um, so that's definitely key. If you don't have an instant pot, I get one of those. Um, but there is another dish that, that we do a lot of times with the neck, um, which this might sound really strange, but it's a very famous Persian dish. Um, it's called uh, DZ uh, or, um, uh, oh man, the name is blanking on me for some reason. But anyway, um, I'll think of it here in a second. Anyway, they take, uh, it doesn't have to be neck roast, but a lot of times we use a neck roast for this. Um, they will slow cook it, braise it um, like a roast. And then they will also in, while they're braising it in that, juice that tomato paste and juice and water they'll you know throw uh potatoes and uh chickpeas in there and like onions and stuff um like you would do with the roast a lot of times but they use chickpeas instead of like carrots i guess and then they'll take the meat the potatoes and the chickpeas and they have this like wooden mallet and they will literally take the meat and the potatoes and chickpeas all together and like squish it like repeatedly into this like paste so it's basically a way of like, it's like almost like pre-chewing your food. So you do it with like a, a cheaper cut of meat or like a tougher or like more sinewy cut of meat. That's I think the reason behind it. That's just what I'm gotcha. guessing. But they're like, yeah, they'll like just squish it down to this like meat <laughs> potato. Your meat. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're making a burger, but with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, kind of dude. And it's so, um, yeah, it's like it's like meat mashed potatoes. It's but it's like it probably sounds weird and gross, but it's really good. And then you like, um, and you eat it with bread, and uh, and then they take the juice and eat that as like a soup. It's called obgusht. That's what it's called. Literally translated as meat water. But um, anyway, it's really good. So you can look that up too. That's a good one. Yeah, I know. I got a I got a framing hammer. I might not want to use that one. I might have to get myself a wooden mallet. Yeah. But no, I love that idea of just a whole new preparation. And you know what? At some point, it, it's hard to dress that up for maybe a Western uh, mindset. Like I look at my wife and my kids and they probably wouldn't come, you know, with it. they wouldn't even come to the table if I brought that out. There. They'd be like, no, I heard you banging away on that. Thing. Yeah. You know, we're not going to have that. But at the same time, like if I take uh, basically sausage, like you're talking like, you know, chickpeas or something, I got a filler and I have ground meat and I put that together, mm -hmm. fry that up or even, you know, slow cook that. And I put out some flatbread. I mean, my boys would go all for that. Oh, so yeah. I guess it's just going to be like, it's going to be slow for them, but man, yeah. that just sounds super good. And I'm sure they use a whole host of, of spices that, normally aren't in my yeah in my repertoire there's some secrets here, going on in there not a whole lot i think turmeric is a big one they use a lot um maybe some saffron you know salt and pepper but speaking of grinding that's the other thing we do is we make um uh, deer kebab so you know we bought a grinder this year um and we'll grind that up and and they'll make um you know classic persian kebab with deer it's oh my gosh it's like my it's another one of my favorites so Anyway. And that's the one where you you make the you actually mix in your seasoning. So essentially, you're making the fresh sausage, and then you actually like form it onto the skewer. Yeah, is that, is that of, what you're doing? Yeah, well, that's the traditional way to do it. You're correct. Um, we just mainly do it on like in a frying pan on the stove because it's just easier than like on the skewer and open fire. But that is the way you're supposed to do it is on the skewer. 
but um so a lot of people when they think of kebab they think of like just a chunk of meat and like on a stick with like some vegetables that is maybe but this is persian kebab it's different so you take ground meat and it's basically equal parts ground meat and and um onion like food processor you put onion in the food processor get it down to like a very fine paste and then drain the excess moisture like onion water out of it so it's basically like equal parts meat and onion and then um some spices but that's basically it um and then yeah it's so it's it's almost like like burger or something but it just has a different flavor um but yeah that's and then traditionally you would put it on a skewer and over the open fire but you can just do it on the on the on the grill too or the griddle but, nice yeah i when i was talking about those those zeros um we for my for mother's day my wife wanted a fire pit that can be closer to the house uh-huh. so i got one of these uh double wall smokeless fire pits cool and you know it, it was pricey um but at the same time this company uh adds a wide steel basically griddle to the top so it's just this huge circle um and it's probably about five five inches wide mm-hmm. and they call that the sear plate that's their big marketing on it the sucker gets wicked hot mm. and you're like great i have small children that's what i want is something <laughs> wicked hot that they can all touch yeah. but we you know we keep them back and they understand what fire is and they actually use that plate to set the roasting for their marshmallow stick. They set that on there. So oh, it cool. helps stabilize thing. We started off early, not waving the marshmallow. Don't, don't send that sucker across the <laughs> yeah. fire. Just, just hold it there and you know blow it out. But um, one thing I've gone with the Euro style is, you know, doing the chunk kebabs. Like I'll, I'll do the, the whole muscle yeah. and have those prepped up. And we did this with some friends of ours that I invited them over and it was more like a make your own Euro. So I already had the meat on the stick, but we sat around that fire and everybody got to be in charge of their single kebab. So it was almost like fire fondue at this point. So they're watching and we're talking, we're having a couple drinks and they roll it around. And then at that point they go back to the table and I had, I wanted to make homemade mountain bread and haven't gotten around to do that i'm a terrible baker you got to be accurate so i went with store-bought pita but at the same time they i had the pita that was warm and then tzatziki and all the fixings that go along with like the basically the greek style it's not Mm -hmm. i guess i wouldn't say it's persian but that whole idea of being like not just having dinner with friends but like involved they get a chance to, to cook it People at steakhouses now, they charge extra for you to go cook your own meat. Like, I find that, mm-hmm. like, man, where did I miss the boat on that, like, <laughs> enterprise? Yeah. That, like, that could be the I should have been the first one to do that. But being able to have friends over and be like, hey, you cook this the way you want. And, you know, we're all just kind of enjoying that whole meal, prepping it totally. and then putting it together at the same time. And I see those, what you're saying, like the burger ones or the ground, that just being even one extra thing that I could do. We had pieces that were kind of slip off the end. And I feel like maybe the burger one would hold together a little nicer. Yeah. There's definitely an art to putting on the skewer like that, but I'm sure there's plenty of stuff on YouTube. You can check on how to do it. Isn't that a great thing? Like, I don't know how to do that. YouTube that someone will show me how to do that. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Hey Hunter, we have come down to the crescendo of our show. Okay. And this is our two dish breakdown okay this is it 
Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked just a little? no question. You hungry? Hey, Ma! Can we get some meatloaf? We're Jim Demochi and you heard about this. Okay. This is where you get to flex a little bit about your culinary skill Ooh. or maybe steal a little bit from your wife and your mother-in-law. They are totally open for uh, for you to use. But I've got two dishes that you're going to describe to me. Both of them are going to involve wild game and how you're going to prepare it yeah. uh, the best way possible. So the first one's kind of a softball. This one's uh, a nice lob out to you. <laughs> and your first meal after a kill yeah now being back country it's probably going to be very basic but at the same time you bring down that animal what's the first meal that you're going to have off of that uh that critter well i feel like i kind of messed this question up because i already went into detail about some of my favorite dishes but um in a back country context uh I don't, this is probably not really answering the question, but when we were in Alaska, man, we one day were out glassing and found some ptarmigan, which is like this, it's a grouse, I guess what it is. Um, they call them like tundra chickens. Um, but we shot a couple of those men and oh my gosh, that was some of the best eating meat I've ever had. It probably didn't help that we were like, you know, 15 miles in on this day of like, you know, grinding, but, um, you're sick of dry freeze. Anything fresh oh, yeah. is going to be amazing at this point. Yeah, eating freeze-dried <laughs> food and um, yeah, just throwing the just cleaning those little birds and throwing them on the stove with a little bit of olive oil and salt and pepper was like amazing. So I think, like you said, anything just tastes amazing in the back country. You know, um, if I'm gonna grab a, a quick piece off an animal and cook it in the field, I mean, probably gonna be tenderloins. Um, you know, and just keep it simple. So I travel like. Like, uh, when I go like this year on Kodiak, I just got like a small, like little tiny little Nalgene, not like a Nalgene you're thinking about, like a big water one. I'm talking about a little one, like, I don't know. I can't remember how many ounces it is, but it's very small, maybe like three inches tall, little. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, a couple ounces. I'll put like coconut oil in that thing. And then just, I have a little MSR salt and pepper shaker. And as long as you got like some kind of fat source, if you can pull some off your animal or like travel with a little bit of coconut uh, oil or whatever you like to cook with. I like coconut oil cause it's a non-inflammatory and kind of healthy oil, but, um, and just salt and pepper on a, on a um, tenderloin is just going to be amazing when you're, you know, in the back country in terms of when I'm at home. Um, you know, I gotta say, man, like I wasn't just saying it like that spine meal is seriously my favorite. So like, that's the first thing I'll ask. And, you know, you said about my culinary <laughs> skill, <laughs> it's funny. Cause like with these two amazing cooks in my home, like not only do I not necessarily need or want to cook that much. Cause they're here. Like they don't really let me <laughs> like, they're like, like, get out. <laughs> you're like, get out of my kitchen, bro. Like these are like legit middle Eastern women. They're not letting me in the kitchen most of the time. So, um, they're making my food for me pretty much, um, you know, just because that's the way it is. Um, so I'm going to have that spine meal with some of those carrots and, um, they make this thing called Tadik, which is, they make a big pot of rice, but at the bottom they'll put like a flatbread, like a tortilla, um, you know, 
traditionally it'd be a Persian flatbread, but you can't really get around here. So they use tortilla and it works fine. And it, and then with the oil and the rice, it, it like, it becomes like this golden brown, crispy, like, you know, crunches when you break it, um, layer of like just oily, crispy, bready goodness on the bottom of the rice. And so that with, and then you'll, we'll eat it with, uh, just a raw cut up onion, um, as like a condiment. And that's, it may sound weird, but that is killer, man. So that's my first I meal. Feel that's yeah, that's hitting all the feel goods on <laughs> yeah. that dish. You got the crispy, you got the oily, you got the fatty, you yep. got the lean, you know, you got, you got it all going on. Right and that there. spine meat, I'm telling you, man, when you scrape off that bone like that, super tender, um, just, yeah, really good stuff. So that's the first one I'm going for if I'm at home. Gotcha. What an homage to that animal. Like, I don't know, to bring it about, you know, back around, like here we are fully involved with creation we're, we're mm. taking this animal and yeah there's a little bit of that rem- the hunter's remorse that you have but at the same time to be able to celebrate the harvest and to bring that in and not let any of that go to waste yeah, man. the fact that we're talking about a dish that i have coined jokingly as scrapings <laughs> like yeah. i feel like that's such a great message to like just to be able to say like, Hey, I scrape every bit off because yeah. I'm thankful for every bit that I have. Yeah, man. And like, so, no, it, I love that dish. Yeah. And like being in the club I'm in, like, you know, guys have different feelings about, you know, clubs and stuff like that and, and whatever. We have a really strong hunt club tradition here in South Southeast Virginia. And so, um, there, like I said, there's some haters, but, uh, and, and don't get me wrong. I love these adventure hunts too. I love striking off. I love being, you know, me and one other guy or me, even me alone sometimes, but also like having that like social aspect of like killing a deer, bringing it back to the clubhouse and, and at night and other guys are there hanging out. You're kind of shooting the breeze or whatever, telling the hunting story. It's a lot of fun, man. And then, and then, you know, and then cut your animal up, take it home. And then, you know, on a Saturday morning in the fall, you know, wearing a sweatshirt you know, kids are running around playing and I'm sitting there butchering this animal with my mother-in-law, you know, who's from another culture, but we're still really close. And, um, and then she's cooking it for me. It's like a, just a whole experience. Like I'm, I'm taking this animal, which I killed in most cases, like less than a few miles from my house. I'm completely in charge of everything of the butchering, the processing being cooked in my house you know then that animal is feeding not only me but my wife my mother-in-law my two kids it's it's awesome man i love it that's great that's great amen yeah amen Amen. okay now i'm throwing some low heat (laughs) it is this dish it is date night okay and it's with you and your wife mother-in-law is taking the kiddos out they're going someplace Mm -hmm. You know, not even going to work about them. The pets are pets are all put away. They're gone as well. But the only way this date is happening is <laughs> you are in the kitchen okay. and you are cooking for your wife. You want this date to go very well. You're going to swoon <laughs> your bride here, but it's got to be wild game. Yeah. What are you personally going to make for her? Okay. Well, this is going to make some people cringe probably but um <laughs> perfect I, so perfect. It, if i'm making it if i'm making a, a dish that just i like and i think i can cook well i am 
I am uh, partial to Asian types of flavors. I spent some time when I was a young man in Japan doing an exchange program. I love Asian food. I love Japanese food. So I would take some tenderloins and do like a Asian inspired kind of like beef and broccoli type thing, like with soy sauce or something like that. Oh, yeah. And my wife likes that. However, and that's how I was going to answer the question. However, the way you phrase the question um, if I'm really doing it just for my wife and I know what she likes, then I am cutting some steaks, probably from the back strap um, or the ham, um, you know, just kind of some steak shaped cuts um, or like medallions from the back strap. And, you know, mine I'm cooking at a nice medium rare, but for some reason, man, my wife does not like meat unless it is brown all the way through, like not even a bit of pink. So I'm going to overcook the junk out of it and <laughs> put salt and pepper and onion powder on it and call it good with some vegetables and rice and she'll be happy. Awesome. Well, I'm glad she's happy. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know people that are this same way. Yeah. Like I am a medium rare through and through. And oh, even yeah. sometimes Especially my wife game. is like, oh, yeah. My wife is even like, no, rarer the better if it twitches. Like, I like it. <laughs> and which I find I'm like, babe, let me let me give it just a little bit longer. But my brother, and I've talked about my brother on here uh, a few times. Like, he's the kid that at uh, Thanksgiving dinner, he would end up with a spoked wheel on his plate yeah. because if any food touched, he, he's like, no, oh, okay. it, it can't, it can't happen. You're like, but dude, it's the mashed potatoes and the corn. Like, that's a perfect combination. Nope. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Like gravy to him, like specific spots for gravy where oh, I'm man. ladling that stuff over everything. That's next He's level. like, no, 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 specific spots. <laughs> so, but he likes his stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. She what? will not eat it if it's got any red in there. Gotcha. How do you prepare something tasty yet well? I'm pretty sure this is, this is going to be a tough one. I mean, for, for me, you don't. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> No, I mean, like I said, if if, um, if I'm doing it for her, I'll do it kind of Gordon Ramsay style. Honestly, I'll get a, a hot pan with some melted butter in there, some herbs. Um, I will salt and pepper, and she likes onion powder on there. Pretty basic seasoning. And then, um, yeah, get that thing in there. Slow cook it. Like, you know, if, you, if, the, if the temperature is too hot, you're just going to burn it it's gonna be charcoal by the time it gets cooked all the way through so you got to kind of slow cook it in that circumstance and then just sit there and baste it with that butter to make sure it stays moist and fatty a little bit and uh, yeah just kind of slow cook it till it's uh till it's cooked all the way through is the best way i could tell you to do it i like it yeah. adding the extra love for the baste just giving a little bit of that fat to render inside of it oh yeah be around it so that when you cut into it yeah it's not shoe leather at that point it's yeah. just it's done all the way through yeah man no i think that's going to appeal to a lot of folks because yeah there's a thing people love it sometimes well done and you know you pray for those folks yeah. but at the same <laughs> time they want they want juicy steak as well so yeah being able to have some tips and tricks to make that uh happen yeah and just picking is, a good uh, cut that's not chewy that's the other thing oh true yeah. true going backstrap going yeah something with a yeah away from the hoof and horn yeah. so it uh nice and tender yeah man well hunter this has been a ton of fun yeah man where 
where can my listeners find out more? I mean, we have wet the palette right now with your whole adventure series. Yeah, People are going to want to know more about this Alaska hunt. People are want to know more about what's going on with Hunter's Quest. Yeah, dude. Where can we find more about you? So, you know, this is not a big deal, but I do want to stress. So, you know, when I started off, it was called Hunter's Quest because it was kind of play on words. But the thing is, it's really not about my quest. It's about my listeners and it's about your quest and our quest together. So that's why it's a tiny word, but I added that little word in there, the hunter's quest, because it's about all of our quests together. Um, not just my quest. So that's, that's, that's important. So I'm on Instagram at the hunter's quest and, um, and also, you know, my YouTube channel, like I said, I'm doing films of Kodiak. I'm doing films of my Wyoming antelope hunt in October with my family and also going to be filming for Dan Staten of Elk Shape. Um, so that'll be on his, that content specifically will be on his YouTube channel. Um, but I'm going to hopefully be able to produce kind of behind the scenes, uh, like repackaged content from that as well. But anyway, you can on Instagram, like I said, the Hunter's Quest. Uh, Facebook, the Hunter's Quest podcast, and then um, really trying to build out my YouTube channel. So, but that one, you actually will need to search my name, which is Hunter McWaters, M-C-W-A-T-E-R-S. And, um, and that'll take you to my YouTube channel. So that's where you can find me. I'm super responsive to guys if they want to message me on Instagram, or you can email me at hunter at this is huntersquest.com. And I will definitely get back to you. Excellent. I'll make sure to put those in the show notes cool, just thanks, to make man. it easier on listeners to, to kick over to you. Well, Hunter, hold on for just a sec. I'm going to send our listeners on out. Cool. Folks, man, I feel like we have gone on quite an adventure here. We took a long walk down into Hunter's life and then we turned around and really got philosophical. But at the same time, like, isn't that what we're doing right now? Isn't we living the life where we're we're mixing together creation and creator and we're also we're mixed right into the middle of it and how everything that we do within the woods ultimately comes out to his glory and so i look at taking animals and being able to get the most out of them here we're, we're scraping meat off the sides what are you taking that's extra off your animals are you finding those little tidbits But however you're going after your animals or however you're processing them, always make sure that your knives are sharp.